Well, my hope and my prayer for everyone in this room is that you are a child of God. If you're not, I pray that today will be a very important day in your life moving forward. This morning, we're going back to the book of Romans. We're going to be spending a number of weeks here. I told a friend of mine this week, I am going to discover how to most quickly destroy a Facebook feed humanly possible every week. I'm going to take my sermon, I'm going to take a synopsis of my sermon, I'm going to post it on my Facebook page, and I'm going to tell you right now, I will have fewer likes than I have had in years on a Sunday morning. And he said, well, why is that? It's simple. This morning, as we look together in the book of Romans, I want us to try to answer a question. Is the wrath of God real? Everybody likes to talk about the love of God. Everybody likes to talk about forgiveness and grace and mercy. Everyone wants to hear a feel-good sermon about heaven. But when you start talking about the wrath of God, people have a tendency to check out. I hope you won't check out on me this morning. See, there are certain subjects in Scripture that I don't think we do justice to in our preaching. And sometimes it's due to neglect. Sometimes it's due to ignorance. At other times, I think it might even be due to our lack of adequate language skills. Oftentimes, I find it difficult to preach about the love of God because the love of God are so inadequate that sometimes I feel like when I'm finished, I just sounded corny or lofty or overly creative. Sometimes when we think we need to preach about the wrath of God, we back away from it, certainly because we know people don't want to hear it. But even beyond that, again, it's beyond our comprehension. How, how can we teach about the judgment of God when we have not yet been judged? How can we teach about hell and do a sufficient job of making it real and hot to those who need to hear about it and know about it when we've not been there? So why would you preach about it? <laughs> we live in a culture, my friends, that needs to hear about the wrath of God as well as the love of God. We talked about the love of God a couple of weeks ago in Romans. And we're going to talk about it more. But how can we not talk about the wrath of God? When we live and we are a people who have rejected authority in our lives. When we have passed legislation to kill babies, unborn and newly born, how can we not talk about God's wrath, what is evil, so that we can say it's right, and at the same time we attack that which is right and call it evil? How can we not talk about the wrath of God? Won't be popular on Facebook. I may not even be popular in this room when I'm done. But we're going to face the truth today. 
So if you brought your Bible, if you have your Bible, I want to invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 1. We're going to read together there a few verses and then jump into chapter 2 because I want you to see one verse that just kind of ties this together. Is the wrath of God real? Let's let God decide. Romans chapter 1, find verse 18. Once you've found that, if you can and will, I'm going to invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Follow along with me. Paul is writing, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Now, if you would, move across to chapter 2 and look at verse 5 with me. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, I just ask you to bless the reading of your word, knowing the minds and hearts that are closing in these moments, saying, I don't want to hear this. Father, I pray, break down those walls. Speak your truth into every heart and into every mind and into every soul in this room this morning. Father, give us an awareness of our need for you, our need for a Savior. And Father, make us aware of the provision that you made through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, Father, I ask you, teach us. Teach us by the ministry of your Holy Spirit to understand your Holy Word, that it might take root in our lives and change us into what you want us to be and created us to be. Have your way today, Father, for I pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. If you preach the truth, the whole truth, not just the parts that people like, but the whole thing, sooner or later you have to talk about wrath. You have to talk about judgment. You have to talk about hell. And I've had people ask me before, preacher, don't you think you could get more flies with honey than with vinegar. And I've told them, absolutely, 
with all honesty and sincerity, yes, you can. But God is not in the business of saving flies. He's after people. And friends, sometimes we have to get down to the truth. And we have to be faced and confronted with the truth. And I, I know that probably everyone would be a lot happier and a lot more comfortable hearing about God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness and salvation in heaven. And, but I want to ask you a question. Isn't it right to tell people to flee if they are on, in a building that is on fire? Wouldn't it be right to encourage people to make a, a safe exit if they were standing in a place of grave danger? Well, that's where we are. And we have to understand that's what the Word of God is trying to do, is encourage us to go to the place of safety. And so this morning, I want us to spend a few minutes focusing on the wrath of God. Because listen, we live in a world that is full of skeptics and scoffers and naysayers who say, Oh, listen, you preachers and you churches have been saying this forever. I want to encourage you, keep your Bible open. If you close it, reopen it. Because we're going to spend our time together here this morning, just a few moments, talking about the wrath of God. And I want you to just see a few things out of this passage of Scripture with me about the wrath of God. And it's really simple, and it's not earth-shattering, and you're going to say, well, gee, I already knew that. Good. Then let's know this together this morning, all right? Let's start with the simple fact that the wrath of God is real. Now, everyone wants to deny that, but I just want you to look at verse 18. It says, the wrath of God is don't have to go any further than that. The wrath of God is. It exists. It is real. It is there, my friends. Whether you like it or you don't like it, whether you accept it or you don't accept it, the Bible tells us over and over and over that the wrath of God is real. I went back and just started looking through Psalms. I found a bunch of Psalms that I had marked, verses that I had marked, and, and I picked a few of them out. Let me just share them with you. Psalm chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Psalm 21, verse 9. In his wrath, the Lord will swallow them up and his fire Will consume. The wrath of God came against them and struck down the choice men of Israel. Listen, I could keep going on and on. And it's not just in the book of Psalms. It is all throughout the scriptures. The world can scoff. The world can laugh. The world can deny. But the wrath of God is a certain and sure thing. And somebody, obviously and surely right now, is sitting there saying, Yeah, but that's all Old Testament preacher. The God of the Old Testament is not the same as the God of the New Testament. We live with this God of the New Testament who's a God of love. I mean, didn't John say God is love? Sure he did. But does not also the Word of God say that our God is unchanging? That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever? You see, here's the reality. We've come to this place where we don't understand that God can be holy and righteous and that he can judge and release his wrath and fury upon sin and at the same time know that he is a God of love and that he does not desire that any should perish but that all should come to repentance, that he is long-suffering and he is patient and he is waiting for people to turn to him and he is making himself known over and over and over through preachers, through ministers, 
mysteries, and even through nature, Paul said in Romans 1.20. I love it. He says, God has made himself known. From the very beginning, preacher, I got one for you. Well, bring me your question. What about those people in deep, dark Africa that never hear the gospel? Surely God's not an evil God who'll send them to hell. No, he's not. He has revealed himself to them. You see, if you look at chapter 1 and verse 20, we read it a moment ago. It says, for that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities. What are his invisible qualities? His love, his grace, his power, his mercy, his awesomeness. I mean, whatever word you want to tack on to him, it's there. Those are his, you can't see it, but it's his. Those are his invisible qualities. His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. Get this, so that men are without excuse. Pity the poor person in deep, dark Africa. Who has never heard. But God has made himself known. Pity even greater still. Those who live in a land that is covered with church houses. Where the gospel is proclaimed week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. And they still ignore the truth. It's not just an Old Testament thing, by the way. John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus was baptizing in the Jordan out in the wilderness. He saw the religious leaders from Jerusalem coming out to him. And in Matthew chapter 3, verse 7, it says that he wanted to know, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Oh, wrath. Excuse me, that's Matthew. We're in the New Testament now. In John chapter 3, John the Baptist explained who Jesus was and their relationship to one another. And then he made this statement in John 3, 36. He said, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. God's wrath is real. I don't care which age you live in. It's a reality. The wrath of God is is real. Still, surrounded by naysayers and scoffers, I want to tell you this. The wrath of God is revealed. You can deny it all you want to. Listen, people don't like to to acknowledge the truth, especially if it doesn't match up with what they want or what they believe or what they're pursuant so here, here it is, the wrath of God. Look, at, look, look back at verse 18 again. God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, let me explain something to you. God has never hidden his wrath. We've read about his wrath. I would dare say that many of us in some form or fashion, have seen some of God's wrath. We don't understand what that is. So let me give you a quick primer, if I might. The wrath of God was revealed in Genesis chapter 6 through 8 in a flood. Well, we don't really think about that as the wrath of God, preacher. Preacher. 
No, I know we don't. Because, see, we've taken the story of Noah and a worldwide flood that was the wrath of God, and we've turned it into a safe little children's story. We're going to put all the little critters on a boat, and they're going to go bouncing around for about a year, and everything's good. And then God gave them a new place to live. No. No. Read the word. And he found a righteous man, and he said, I want you to build a boat. And he said, what's a boat? It's a big thing. It's going to float on the water when I flood the earth. What's a flood? See, it was a world of firsts. But Noah did what God told him to do, even though he didn't understand what he was doing or why he was doing it. It took him 120 years. It was a big boat. He didn't have power tools. He had three sons. Sometimes that's not much help either. (laughs) He built the boat. He did what God told him. He brought the animals in. God closed up the door. And there was a worldwide flood, my friends, and it destroyed everything that was not in the boat. This is not a children's story. This is a story about the wrath of God that explains how even when God destroyed the world, he saved a remnant in order to repopulate the world that he had created. Read a little further over in Genesis, and you come to a story about a couple of towns named Sodom and Gomorrah. This is not about a salty wife. This is about the wrath of God. God looked at the sinfulness of man and said, I won't tolerate this. I won't have this, and I certainly am not going to. No, he didn't. We haven't found him yet, but science just keeps closing in and closing in and finding evidence and proof, and I'm just telling you now, it's not going to be long, folks, and they're going to say, there they are. It happens over and over and over if you follow biblical archaeology. We've been told throughout history that different places named in the Bible didn't exist, and then somebody scratches a hole in the dirt and says, "Uh uh-oh, there it is. And guess what? The way this lays out, it conforms to what the Word of God says happened. We're getting closer. I can keep going, if you'd like. Egypt, the plagues, wrath of God. They refused to let his people go when he told them to, and so he unleashed his wrath upon the nation of Egypt. And guess what? They let the Israelites go, and the Israelites got out there into the wilderness, and do you know what happened? The wrath of God fell on them. They grumbled and complained and whined and disobeyed God. And finally God said, I've had enough. And if it hadn't been for the intercession of Moses and a few righteous men, the nation would have been lost. And they toured through the wilderness. It was a long tour. Made longer by their own disobedience. And then they came into the land. And they began the conquest And nation after nation fell. Do you know what that was? That was the wrath of God. I can go on and on. I'm not going to. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. Certainly we can think of events that have happened in our lifetimes. Even from the young to some of the not so young. We call them world events, 
my friend, don't think for a moment that God is not judging peoples and nations. But preacher, that doesn't make sense. Wrath is an Old Testament thing. I've been trying to tell you that. God's wrath was revealed at the cross when he judged the sinfulness of mankind and demanded payment in full for man's wrongdoing. Jesus took our place. He took upon himself our sin. And when he did, he accepted the wrath of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. You know part of this. Part of it you probably don't. This part you know, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the part you probably don't know. It's the next verse. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall... I've had people ask me through the years, do you really believe that Jesus took God's wrath on himself at the cross? My response has always been to answer their question with a question. Have you read the cry of Jesus on the cross? At about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Eli! Eli! Lama sabatanai, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Bearing the weight of all the sin of the world that would ever be, that had ever been upon his shoulders. Jesus experienced the wrath of God. This isn't just a cry of pain or agony or suffering. It was a cry of sheer abandonment of one who for the first time in his entire existence knew what it was to not be in the presence of the Father. Do you know what hell is? of the Spirit. It is being completely separated from God, the Godhead, throughout all of eternity. The wrath of God is revealed as a warning for all of us to see. And it will be revealed again to those who fail to heed his warnings. Time is short, so let me say one more thing. It'll take me a little while to say this one more thing. It's the reason I took you to chapter 2. If you've got your Bible, I want you to look at chapter 2. I want you to look at verse 5. I want you to see what I'm about to tell you. The wrath of God is reserved. It's reserved for those who hear the claim of God, who see the claim of God, who sense the claim of God, who feel the call of God, and reject everything about God. Paul says in verse 5, you are storing up wrath against yourself. For the day of God's wrath. We who are believers, those of us who understand his claim, have received his gifts. 
heaven. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 20, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where the thief cannot break in and steal. But my friend, if you reject the claims of God, if you reject the truth of God, if you just choose to go do life however you want to, however you feel is right and good for you, you're just rejecting everything he has to say and the call of him upon your life, you can also store up wrath against yourself. Did you see what that said? You, not somebody else, not your politicians, not your nation, not your school teacher, not your pastor, not your deacon, not somebody else doing it for you. No, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. There is a day of wrath coming, and I know that the world says, <laughs> right. Revelation 6-7 says, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? When that day comes, I promise you, none will stand before him proudly, boldly, or capable of delivering themselves. A thousand years. And the church has been proclaiming this forever, and it hadn't happened. So why should we get upset about it? Why should we worry about it? Why should we change the way we're living life because of it? If you want to get some action out of me, preacher, here's what I need. I need to know when, where, and how it will occur. Okay? God will unleash his wrath during the great tribulation period. That's the wind, folks. And, and I just want to tell you something. If you think that the world has gotten kind of crusty these days, you ain't seen nothing yet. You read the book of Revelation, you will come to discover that the world's going to get a whole lot worse. Things are going to literally be coming apart, falling apart around us. He will show his wrath in the seven plagues of Revelation 15. I'm not going to read it to you. You go home and read it for yourself. He's going to show his wrath in the pouring out of the seven vials of Revelation chapter 16. You can read that one too. But if you get through all of that reading, you're still saying, well, you know, I just don't think this is going to affect me. This is going to impact me at all. I want to just challenge you to go home and read Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. If you're a note taker, this is the part you need to jot down right here, by the way. I don't want you to miss this one, all right? Even if you missed the stuff I said before, don't miss this one. Is that he will finally, ultimately, and forever pour out his wrath in judgment at the great white throne. Where everyone who has rejected him in this life will stand before him and be cast in a lake of fire. Is the wrath of God real? God says it is. Somebody says, well, that's got nothing to do with flames. I just thought they looked good in February. I'll tell you something, they may look good in February, but they won't look good for eternity. And I know people tell me, well, you don't really know anything about hell. No, I don't. I just know what the Word of God says to me. It's a place of darkness. 
It's a place of torment. It's a place of flame, suffering. It's a place where the worm never dies. Think about that image for a minute. Not talking about fishing worms, folks. man who spent just a few moments there was there is none. Eternal separation. Yeah, I want you to know something. This is not comfortable to preach or teach about. Not God's wrath. And I'm certain from the looks I've seen on some of your faces, it's probably not real comfortable to sit and listen to either. But I want you to think about something. It was a sermon about this very subject written and preached by a scholar by the name of Jonathan Edwards, who entitled his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He he preached that sermon, and it launched a revival in his little congregation. And that that revival in that congregation sparked to begin a larger revival around and in the surrounding areas. And before long, it grew to what we know today as the first great awakening of the American church. And I've just kind of been standing back with my arms crossed, watching the world go by, watching the culture around us, and I've come to the realization, perhaps we need more preaching on God's wrath and not less. Don't think I've slipped off an edge, please. God's grace is truly amazing. But God's wrath is real. And that brings me to the place where I just... This morning, right now, in this moment. Are you living in the place of grace? Or are you standing in the path of God's wrath? It's one of the two. You cannot abstain. You must choose. Grace or wrath? Heaven or hell? His or your own? Everyone will decide. Let's bow our heads together. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing a a song of commitment, surrender, invitation. Call it what you will. I'm inviting you to choose. You say, I haven't chosen. I'm not ready to choose. Then you are choosing. You are choosing the path of wrath. You will not escape. You will not get out of the way unless you choose to receive what God has offered through his son, Jesus Christ. You see, that's, that's the gift of life. That's salvation. That's forgiveness. If you'll come to him in faith, repenting of your sin, turning from it and turning to him, today you can become a child of the king. You can become a child of God. What's that mean? It means this. 
that that wrath Jesus took on himself when he went to the cross, that was yours. It will no longer be on you. It will, it's already done. So you have to choose. Will you be his or will you be your own? Will you live for him or your own satisfaction? You decide. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. God, sometimes I wish it was easier. Sometimes I wish we didn't have to get down to the hard stuff. And Father, I'm so thankful when those moments come that you've addressed it so much in your word, all I've got to do is read it. All I've got to do is just put it together and put it out there. Father, right now in this room, there are probably some folks who are having to make a choice. They're having to choose. I pray for them. Oh, God, give them the courage to choose correctly. Give them the courage to hear your voice and follow. Give them the courage to stand up and say, no matter what the world has to say, I believe Jesus and I'm going to follow him. Father, I pray this morning. I pray that as the word has gone forth, your spirit is even now speaking to hearts that you would find here a people who are willing, ready to be obedient. Father, have your way in each life. You, you told us in your word, it's not your desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That all would come to eternal life. That all would come to salvation. And even though that's your desire, we know that there are some who do not, who will not. So you've given us a choice. Father, draw us to you. Have your way in our lives. Be glorified among your people that we might rejoice and celebrate together in that which you do. For I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.